0: Okay, good afternoon and welcome to the uh, serious seminar this afternoon. I would like to introduce Luke Butcher. Luke Butcher comes from us from MasterCard, where he's a product management for Cyber and Intelligence Solutions. So he's uh, going to talk a, a little bit about, Connected intelligence. You can see uh, artificial intelligence on on the screen, so I think this will be an interesting talk for you. I didn't notice his whistle on red card, but he is a longtime soccer <laughs> official. So if anybody gets out of line, you'll probably get get given the red card. So I just thought I'd give you that little bit of forewarning. So with that, I'll just turn it over to Luke. Perfect. Thank you, Jerry. Um, yes, yeah, so and I will kick off and uh, talk today a little bit um, about what artificial intelligence and its application looks like uh, MasterCard today and what we, where we envision it going. And you know, that's kind of the, the piece that I talk about, a connected data, a repository, at least of joined data where you can you know, leverage algorithms to pick up themes and, and contexts. The other piece that I'll talk about a little bit later is the value of uh, fragmented or decentralized data. So MasterCard, at its core, it's bread and butter. Is a network connecting someone who's looking to have a good or service to someone who's able to to provide it so taking that uh, tra- that mindset on um, that paradigm and applying it into a identity uh, space so we'll get there in the the second half so the first piece is around artificial intelligence within within MasterCard so this is not a foreign concept to MasterCard we've had uh, data scientists and uh, people working in an artificial intelligence niche for many years. Traditionally, it's been in a fraud capacity. So every time that card is swiped, used online, a risk score is generated and sent to our bank partners to help them make a decision on whether it's a genuine user or not, or it's someone who has, uh, has taken over those, those credentials so it's been a fairly niche part of our organization it's certainly an important part but a niche part of our organization and we're now at this stage where we really need to work to work across the business to help the rest of the business that traditionally hasn't had to touch artificial intelligence didn't have to understand artificial intelligence and really bring them bring them up to speed because we are at this point where we see a lot of value and potential in this space but you really need the business owners who understand their day-to-day life, the problems of the business that they face, and for them to have enough understanding of artificial intelligence to see the application. And conversely, you need those, that side of the business to be able to educate those with the skills to develop the relevant um, applications and algorithms um, to understand the problems of the business to, to really find some, some middle ground to even find some of these, these case studies. And why is this kind of a, a priority? So this is how across the, the organization is, is really thinking and seeing the application of, of artificial intelligence. We consider it kind of the, the third digital transformation across the industry, across the ecosystem. And we talk, when we talk about a transformation, that means, from our standpoint, it's, not, it's a change that goes beyond the institutions that you traditionally think about it. So, Um, In the 1980s, when we talk about the proliferation of computers, right? That was not just a transformation that impacted the Microsofts, the the apples of the world. It's hard to imagine a single company, organization, school that doesn't have a computer today to maximize the potential and productivity of the workforce, students, anyone who's a part of that um, those institutions. That kind of next wave is is the internet. Um, If you had kind of gone a few years prior and, and speaking to individual consumers, kind of hard to have any of them say with any degree of certainty or confidence that they would ever make a purchase um, without seeing, feeling, and trying something on. And yet we still have the Zappos and the Amazons who are not just entering a, a space, but potentially are, are f- currently transforming what retail looks like in, in today's, today's Edge. So that's really what we mean by Transformation of really redefining of everyone who has to to play in this economy and Finally we get to this proliferation of artificial intelligence when you're able to predict better It it has meaningful impacts to the bottom lines and the decisions that these organizations make these organizations make And we think we're at the very cusp of that and it's part of why it's a, a heightened uh, importance to to MasterCard so why now and why for MasterCard? So the real value of artificial intelligence um, from a, all the way from machine learning to a deep learning uh, perspective comes as these three uh, pieces kind of feed off of each other and each of them really grow. So you really don't have the the scale and amount, vast amount of data to really leverage deep learning until relatively, until relatively recently. So as you get um, data from your traditional sources, as you get data from things like the uh, Internet of Things and and new forms of technology, and you start to be able to correlate all these different forms of technology around a centralized user, you know, it's just one example or application. It's a it's a new fodder space for uh, for these uh, uh, institutions to play in. Uh, With more data, You really can't do much with it if you don't have the processing power behind it so from a MasterCard perspective we have had a trove of processing power but traditionally have not been harnessing it for algorithms and um, artificial intelligence historically it has been on uh, processing transactions globally um, managing to service level agreements that are not measured in seconds or even milliseconds like we're talking even fractions of that so that's you know looking at new ways of applying uh... what we've historically had a very high degree of of competency in historically and then all of that too feeds into to better algorithms right if you've got enough enough data and enough pro- processing power you're able to apply those two together and and really make make something make something of it and then the, the graph on the the right of the slide uh, came from uh, one of Google's uh, co-founders of the, the Google brain, which is there is a diminishing margin of, of return when it comes definitely to human learning, uh, to, to no one's surprise. You can, as much incremental data as you, you add in there, there's only going to be so much incremental value you'll, you'll generate out. Machine learning really relies on the structures that you're able to, to place on on that incremental data. So there, there, too, is a diminishing margin of, of return. Uh, deep learning is really where we expect that diminishing margin to not be in the foreseeable future, and really part of uh, that proliferation of artificial intelligence uh, transforming not just our, our industry, but um, almost virtually every, econ- very, every industry across um, our economy. sir, so for some of the, the fun pieces, uh, the application of it today within MasterCard. So today we've identified around 130 different use cases and applica- uh, use cases for it within, within MasterCard. I touched a- upon a little bit around fraud detection. So our banks report in fraud to us, and historically we've used that fraud data and correlated to, to transactional level trends to uh, a- estimate and try and predict what type of risk vectors translate into to fraud now we're starting to do to be a little more sophisticated on in how we think about this so when we talk about risk vectors generating fraud that's a fairly to kind of reduce it a bit is a is a straight line level of fraud reported in based on trends but as we think about different cardholders there will be very natural anomalies in this space that are not due to um, Ingenuine or, or bad behavior. So an Elon Musk of the world His very profile on spending habits uh, levels of spend are on their own going to look like a a very uh, risky transaction, you know, he's if he's traveling a lot outside of a general geographic radius that uh, Most cardholders tend to spend within 30 to 40 miles of their home You know, he's traveling a lot the, the size of the purchases he's making those alone tend to represent fraudulent transactions. But when you can break out those individual uh, entities and and people and understand, no, we don't really know who Elon Musk is, but we can associate for that card, that's what genuine activity represents, and to take that understanding and apply it to what has been traditionally kind of a straight line model of what's been reported and what are our traditional fraud vectors. Next application is in finance. So all public companies report their their quarterly returns, and then there's a lot of hoopla around the year-end returns. A lot of business decisions, operating decisions, go into whether they miss or make uh, their forecast. Uh, Although I can't help but chuckling a little bit that that forecast is imperfect. Uh, So as, as accurate as they can be with the tools and resources that they have before them, that forecast is only as good as the people and the drivers that they've placed into that model. Um, And this is certainly not a foreign concept to, to MasterCard as well. So understanding and being able to apply AI into an organization, picking up on drivers that haven't historically been measured, really pulling that into a forecast that goes out to the street, is going to produce more reliable more accurate forecasting for many of these these businesses that you know hard to say how often it happens but may just be missing missing or beating their their numbers just because they forecasted quite poorly which has an impact to anyone who chooses to to invest in in the stock market next one is within human resources um for those of you who have not gone through the the process of of being hired or or being an intern there are a lot of steps that a, co- a company goes through to vet someone there's the understanding what someone's experience is on paper there are the interviews by teammates and team members on um, and hiring managers excuse me on whether they think that candidate will be a good fit on, on a team and there I mean there are companies that are going through trend analysis and making sure that keywords are, are put into to a resume I mean that is just a a very easy system to beat you just look up what those keywords are and you apply them to the paper so it's it's very difficult and uh we'll save any any horror stories in that arena for for later but it's very difficult to really match up a person who has the right experience and is a good fit and has a lot of potential within it within a company uh, to those open job roles and, and postings um and part of that is because it's people have to do That evaluation and make their best judgment but if you could start to apply artificial intelligence to this start really applying it across their experiences across how they how they potentially perform in an interview and the responses that they give maybe there are some things that we are not picking up on that would actually be far better indicators than anything we've used used historically product recommender and from a from a sales standpoint, uh, one a little close to my heart um, within Mastercard we have you know across our core products our value add service products and our consulting arm around 300 different products uh, people are imperfect and it's very hard to fathom being able to teach a whole sales force uh, that many different products so it's one understanding the products what they do and the value that they can add two it's also understanding where the application of those products are within, within a customer. So it's, it's really marrying and joining those, those two up. And what happens in, in reality is you get uh, a sales force who is fairly familiar with a subset of those products. You know, If you're lucky, it's gonna be somewhere in the camp of 20 to 30. Um, if you're unlucky, we're probably looking at five to 10. But they are very good and are at applying and understanding where that can go within a customer uh, to help their their business driver. But if you applied a little bit of understanding of the data that's coming in from from these customers, whether they are banks, whether they are merchants and retailers or providers and supporters of those two, two entities, if you can understand their businesses, understand the product lines, you've now honed in and facilitated for the, the sales force what they really need to be focusing on and learning. So instead of giving them a huge menu of 3 to 400 products, you give them let's say 5 to 10 every every quarter and say we think that these are the ideal recommended solutions, you know, go up, read on them, have customer conversations and you, from there, you know, for those that work, great, for those that don't, move on. But you're having very tactical and very meaningful conversations that make the most of everyone's time. Certainly the, the MasterCard Salesforce and sales forces across the globe who struggle with the same thing, but also from a customer standpoint. You're not weeding through uh, many iterations of a conversation to find out that this really doesn't, doesn't make sense and didn't really have a chance from, from the get-go. You're really looking to expedite and facilitate the, the conversations to something that's a little more meaningful and, and tangible. Uh, Log analysis from our audit teams, Uh, historically audit has been a very manual process, um, trying to identify what is going to be a red flag, what is a warning sign that really needs to be followed up on to determine if it's a red flag or not, and those instances that are just really nothing nothing to worry about. But it's a process that people continue to invest millions in because because of the risk. and our legal arm is certainly not at risk of job security uh, because of this, but the applications of artificial intelligence and understanding what, what red flags we knew of historically and finding, and finding and catching them sooner as well as ones we had never identified before and really applying that to our business and getting ahead of, ahead of a curve of something that could be potentially quite dangerous or, or disastrous or at least quite costly to, to an organization. The final one is social media trend analysis. So MasterCard is a B2B organization. We, you know, despite that, that brand on, on the front of the card, we tend to be behind the scenes and try to, to keep it that way. The problem with that is we don't have first-hand reactions or insights into what's necessarily happening with cardholders. So if something fails, and something goes wrong, and for some reason our redundant systems and platforms didn't catch it, didn't pick up on it, for whatever reason, we have to really rely on consumer sentiment to to catch these problems, which is not a great way to to run a business. Because the way this works is something goes wrong. Cardholder looks to make a transaction, and it doesn't go through. That's the voice of one, calls into a bank, complains about it, probably nothing else happens. Now maybe dozens it happens to, and ideally at this point, the bank says, okay, actually there is a problem, let me reach out to MasterCard. Likely, it's dozens on dozens, if not hundreds, of people who are impacted before a problem and firestorm is is created. So where we can get ahead, where we can understand, where we can catch these trends even faster without relying on on intermediary par- parties to catch it for us, the better. Uh, again, where we can be proactive on, on these front lines really helps us get ahead of the curve, mitigate costs from uh, remediation and, and damages that we need to, to resolve, and allows us a little more time and flexibility in, in fixing problems before, before they escalate. And this is just, just kind of a, a summary slide on you know it's, machine learning is really not taking away anyone's jobs. It's just really transform, transforming them and, and changing what they, what they mean. So it really takes individuals who understand the business, understand the problems, to be able to apply that and see the opportunities within um, artificial intelligence to make everyone's lives better. And it's also on the flip side, those with the technical skills to operationalize it, to understand the business, to to find where where those applications are. So that's really artificial intelligence within MasterCard. So you can only draw correlations and causations when you have have all the data at your fingertips or at least have uh, needles out there to, to pick up on it. However, mentioned a bit earlier that MasterCard's bread and butter is actually just being a network and connecting multiple parties to each other, and there is still a lot of value in that. There is a lot of value in not being a honeypot of of information, uh, being a a prime source or target for that. And one of those chief opportunities we see in this is around digital identity. And um, there's a a few trends that are, are driving this you know, one is identity verification upon setup. So this could be everything from new bank accounts that you need to set up for. You need to verify who you are when you when you register for school, for classes. You need to uh, register for this when we talk about a gig economy. I sure want to be confident that the Lyfts and Ubers of the world have done some form of check before I'm getting into a car with someone driving at 60 miles per hour. There is the expectation, right? It's a it's a digital space in which you're verifying your identity, there's a consumer expectation that it's seamless, it's secure, and it's a very private um, experience. You know, we've certainly seen a few institutions misuse that information before. So how do you help maintain that consumer trust when you're trying to verify their identity across a few organizations? There's also this idea that connected devices is not making this job any easier with the Alexas, the Google Homes in the world. Those have even fewer ways of being able to identify a person who, is who they say they are. But you can make purchases on those, on those devices. Um, shortly, they'll be able to make financial decisions, logging into banks, making high-risk transactions. And understanding who you are is going to be crucial for, for those devices. The other one is around uh, regulation. So GDPR, for those who are not familiar, is a European regulation around uh, putting control of a consumer's data into their hands. So at its core, a consumer can go to any institution, from a bank to a, a merchant who's holding their data, and say, I don't want you to be holding any, I don't want you to have any of the historical data that you have on me. To be making decisions um, either broadly or about me specifically. But there's on the converse side, there's also this idea of leveling a playing field. It's very difficult for a, a startup or a new institution or an old institution who just hasn't historically had access to this data come into a space when they're a newcomer. Right? A a bank, a credit scoring agency are these stalwarts who have had hadn't been able to look at this data for years decades someone who's new and wants to offer new services a new way to score credit is never going to be able to to compete if we've kind of centralized all this data into a group of a few institutions and given them a lot of power (coughs) i will pick and choose some of these so we don't iterate through each one of these Um, the 7.5 billion user um so on one side india did an amazing thing in nationalizing a their identity platform for all of their citizens so historically the base of the pyramid are the ones who are most uh, unlikely to be able to identify themselves digitally but they're also the ones who are most likely to need uh, whatever they are verifying their identity for that infrastructure those social services those are the platforms that those at that base of the pyramid struggle to connect with are the ones who also need it the most. So India did a phenomenal thing, registered all their citizens, got biometric data on them, but it also prevents, uh, uh, it's also a risk, right? That, the government now holds a very rich repository of information that is an absolute gold mine and honeypot that they have to be very careful with now going forward and making sure that they are, very secure in how they manage that data, the third parties that have access to it, and the third parties that need to use that data to, to verify those individuals. And so it certainly provides a risk in, in that space. So, not surprisingly, we, would, we expect that our vision of digital identity to be, to be something that's very simple, something very accessible, in today's day and age, most have a, a smartphone, but especially my India example, not always. Uh, but you know, providing some form of in- infrastructure or access to this that's simple, safe. But what's also unique is giving the consumer more say and more control in, in how they do it. So I'll probably spend most of the time on this piece, which is really how we envision this, this operating and working. So in the middle, there are two, there are two entities. One are, is the customer who's got this need to identify and verify themselves, either for the first time or on an ongoing uh, basis, depending on the relationship that they have. The second is MasterCard sees itself there as the connector of all these different institutions. So we do not want to be this honeypot. We merely want to be the Rails connecting uh, these institutions. So will be the rails we will create a uniform and standardized process for an exchange of this information but we really don't want to hold it don't want to have access to this and be be our own honeypot we've got certainly enough problems with uh... people trying to penetrate our systems today we're not really looking to add even more uh... fuel to the fire So might make sense to walk through a example of this uh, walking, walking through each of these, these players. Uh, Selfishly, since I'm up here speaking, I'm going to choose one that I had to go through just a few hours ago. Uh, Renting a car. Hertz only needed a, when I went online to register and book a car, Hertz really only needs one piece of information. Am I older than 25 or not? And traditionally today, the way you answer that is by giving them your birthday now Hertz has extra information than they actually even needed. They don't really care about it, but now they have created a lucrative source of data that's used in opening up accounts and um, all sorts of pieces of of information. But the question in this framework is, could Hertz just ask if you're older than 25 or not, not caring whether you're 80 or 26? And So the way this we envision this being is Hertz is this, this relying party. it's relying on information from other uh, providers in the ecosystem. Could Hertz just connect with potentially your your bank and say, you know, Citibank, Bank of America. Is Luke older than 25? Answer is just a a yes, no dichotomous. It's not a it's not something that they need to hold store um, on their on their side. So you've got some form of trust provider. I could be a bank. It could be a mobile network operator, a cell phone provider. Um, many, many of those institutions could provide that. It could also be something that's less significant and you don't need to go to that extreme. right? It could be around social media right? and making sure that you've got some other entity of, of information that's less secure and um, not as necessary because the risk isn't as high there. So you've now got an entity who said, Yep, i verified that piece of information. What you still need though is someone to say, Luke is who they say they are. Because it's just as easy to just verify a piece of information without verifying that person is who they say they are. So that's where the identity verification provider, again, could be a mobile network operator who's known you for many, many years. Could be a government that holds everything from birth certificates to social security numbers to say, yep, Luke is who he says he is. That way, you can trust the the bank's information that he's older than 25, and right there, you've had a exchange of information that is distributed, doesn't have a, a doesn't create honeypots on on any side of it, but has provided all the information and nothing more than is needed. So that's that's kind of our our vision of what digital identity looks like going forward. That we're looking to start really ramping up and scaling. Uh, early early and throughout throughout next year so two two pieces on on this slide if this is of interest uh, we can also certainly circulate it after this this class we've got a public white paper on this that is far more specific and detailed than i can be in a in a short class Uh, so that's that's open that's out there and accessible and the other piece is you know uh, MasterCard is not the only player who's trying to solve this problem and everyone has their own, their own pillars. So, We've got 10. Many of them are fairly similar to what other providers are looking to do out in the ecosystem. One that is a little different that we see ourselves standing apart on and would ideally like others who are looking to solve the same problem also include is this idea of inclusion. Right. those who need the access to this who need to verify who struggle to do this the most tend to be the ones who need uh, whatever services that they are what they are verifying for um, this is not a a new piece for for MasterCard we also have a um, our own kind of um, charitable organization that's apart from the business that looks to broaden financial inclusion really providing access to Uh, financial systems to those who haven't had it before which breaks the systems around loan sharks and really perpetuating poverty in that ecosystem so we're taking that same pillar from there and applying it to to digital identity and then finally I kinda just picked on one one use case but we see a plethora of use cases for for digital identity so I'll start with the seamless travel because that's that's where the example I I picked up on but so it applies to a rental car it applies to airlines hotels all of those need to to verify a person is who they say they are and in the process likely take on more information than they really need and quite candidly probably want right below that is age-related sales so um, traditionally this is around um, alcohol and looking to uh, make those types of purchases but they're not the only ones um, there are definitely other, other purchases out there that require uh, age verification. The other is around very personal and sensitive information, whether it's legal documents, trusts and estates, stuff that still gets delivered in paper form and making sure that they get delivered uh, to who they are supposed to uh, without creating too much of a a burden or ownership on on those trying to deliver or receive that information there's also background checks so in a in a sharing a sharing economy um, those who need to be a part of a gig economy um, verifying who they say they are the amount of income um, and income would also apply to rent and mortgages and and all that all that fun stuff there's also the that identity high risk um, identity verification, so new bank accounts, you know, applying for a passport for the first time, applying for a driver's license, those key pillars of who you say you are, someone needs to verify that for the first time and be pretty sure that you are who you say you are. Um, KYC, applying for credits, loans, you know, financial things. The other piece is you think about healthcare. care. Um, for those of you who are... Uh, Lucky enough to not know this example, um, it's great. But when you need to share information across healthcare providers so that they can make a, a, a single and hopefully agreeable diagnosis, it's very hard to share that information just around the privacy laws and regulation that exist in that space. So if you can simplify the identifi- identity verification, you can facilitate that exchange between multiple providers. Um, and Then when we we call it digital identity, but there's also quite a few applications of face-to-face that are arising where it is a face-to-face exchange, but the data and verification happens in a digital medium. So when we think it's so a large problem of people's Amazons. Uh, Amazons. has been a long day. <laughs> uh, people's Amazon packages just being taken off the stoop and doorstep. So Amazon's looking at new ways to um, provide those packages in a secure manner. Sometimes that's putting it in the trunk of your, your BMW or your Audi. It's you know, going into a section of a house that's been verified or cornered off, but still locked off except for one specific moment when a package is being delivered. It's a face-to-face interaction, but whoever's there, whoever's present needs to be verified via a digital medium, not through some key that's already been exchanged historically. that that's kind of the the value that and where we're looking from a, a decentralized standpoint and and see a lot of value coming from on on the data the data front so you know very broadly those are two vastly different applications mastercard is very excited and pursuing for um quite wholeheartedly um shareholders are also equally excited about both of these spaces because they represent Quite a lot of need as well as potential for for the organization. So I've done quite a bit of talking. Um, I will turn it over to any questions that anyone has in in either of these two spaces. It's either a sign that I did that very well or very poorly. Uh, I'm wondering who else is doing this type of digital life sort of platform that you're going towards, because you talked about other people, and as well. so I'm just curious who else are doing that. Yeah, so it's there are quite a few startups who think they've got a um, a new view or a few uh, perception in this space that they're certainly uh, trudging forward with it. So you've got one, that end of the spectrum, but you've also got... No, not really governments, they're just kind of behind the curve, but you've got people who have this, this rich data who actually exhibit a lot of potential in this space. So the mobile not- network operators uh, of the world are looking to do this. Um, and you've also got um, entities kind of in between who struggle with this problem but also could be part of the solution to it. So without naming anyone, um, entities who have a lot of rich data on your... Social media, uh, for instance, are also starting to explore, um, do they tackle this space directly, or do they work with, with entities like MasterCard or some of these other provi- providers in a, in a shared ecosystem? So uh, without naming names, it's kind of a wide, a wide swath of organizations looking to, to solve this problem. In the future, do you see blockchain technology moving into this space, in part? <laughs> um it's a fair question not not financially but just in uh information sharing absolutely so um not covered today but we certainly have a whole uh group who's working on blockchain and it's it's varying applications so to your point um i'm tempted to to jump the gun and, and talk about payment um but there is definitely application for it in in a digital exchange so when we talk about Um, How this data is is shared and the mediums it's shared, I will not, you know, make forward-looking statements, but a medium for that could be blockchain, right, and standardizing the protocols that these different uh, institutions are using to exchange that information. So the applications and how this gets executed are, we're not limiting ourselves in, in any regard within that space. Okay, hey, anything else? If not, let's thank our speaker. Thanks a lot. <laughs> right, thank you, everyone.